Welcome to Word of Life on our Wednesday night teaching series. I'm sure glad you've taken time to tune in and glean what God has for you through these very practical teachings that we have provided and will continue to provide the next few weeks. This week, Pastor Tim Trammell teaches, and I know you will greatly enjoy what he has to share. Enjoy. Well, good evening, everybody. So Pastor Bill asked me to teach tonight's class, and so what I want to do is less of a teaching, and I want to do more of a training and equipping time. So if that's all right with everybody, I want to give you some tools tonight that I think will help uh, as you disciple others. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I believe that we're all called to make disciples. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you as always to the very end of the age. And so we believe that we are called to make disciples. And I think what's amazing about that is even in this room, all of us are very different people. We come from different backgrounds. We have different personalities. Many of us have different vocations. And yet, as different as we are, even where we fit in in the body of Christ and what we do in church might look different. But despite all of that, we are all called to make disciples. That looks exactly the same between all of, that, all of us. And so what I would encourage you is, one, you are called to make disciples. I want to encourage you. Every single person in this room, if you're listening to this on podcast later, you are called to make disciples. God has placed that on the inside of you. Um, but it's important that you're also being discipled at the same time, that you're not just making disciples, but you're being mentored and you're being discipled because it's very hard to pour out from an empty cup. I think of somebody like Pastor Bill, who as many people as he mentors and encourages every single day, he has people in his life that pour into him. In my life, I have a couple of people that pour into me and mentor me and help fill me up and encourage me when I'm down. It's important that as you're pouring out, because how many of you know discipleship requires you to be poured out, and so you need to be poured back into continually, and that's by being mentored and having people in your life. So, so I would just encourage you that, yes, you are called to make disciples, but you're also called to be discipled. And so just make sure you have those people in your life. And I promise you there's people in this church uh, that would be more than happy to do that. But again, tonight, uh, I want to do less teaching and more training and equipping. I want to give you some tools. And so I want to start off with a question. So when somebody gets saved, and you can think back to our church at Word of Life and our services, when somebody gets saved, and whether that be they're a first-time guest or or maybe they've come a few times, and they surrender their lives to Jesus, and they, they come up to the front, and they, we pray the prayer of salvation with them, and, and we get excited, and, and you know, we clap and we cheer. After all of that happens, what's the first thing that Pastor Bill does? Or, or what, is he, what is the first thing that Pastor Bill says to the person that just got saved? Does anybody know? Twyla? Yeah, yeah, 
But what's but what's the the next step as far as you know they've gotten saved? Go to church. Yeah, exactly. Every every single time, and the next time someone gets saved, I want you to pay close attention because he's going to say that. He's going to say that. Go to church, or maybe uh, if somebody just gets a touch from God, maybe uh, you know they get addiction broken off or they get a breakthrough. What's the first thing that typically pastor will say to them? You need to go to church and you need to keep coming to church. He tells them that church is important. Now I think that's interesting. He doesn't say, "Well, you need to read the book of John." <laughs> He doesn't say, well, you need to pray, even though those things are important, but yet he says you need to go to church. That's the most important thing because the reality is if you go to church on a consistent basis, you're going to learn how to pray. You're going to learn how to read the Bible. You're going to learn how to study the Bible. You're going to learn all the important things that have to follow, but you have to come to church. And so what I want to talk about tonight is that church is important. Now, I believe everybody in this room would probably agree with me that church is important. Do you agree with that? Church is important. But it's one thing to know something, and it's another thing to be able to communicate that thing. For instance, you could have received the gospel. You can be saved, sanctified, and on your way to heaven. But if you can't communicate the gospel, then you're of no help to anybody else. And so one thing that I would burden you with, challenge you with tonight, is you probably understand that church is important. But if you can't communicate and convince others, especially those that you're discipling, why it's important, then they're not going to come. Because I can tell you that this generation coming up, people my age and people younger than me, they don't believe church is important. They, they don't believe that you have to come to church. They believe that there's a spirituality that you can have without coming to church and that it's okay. You know, I consider myself a very forward-thinking person in a lot of ways. And when somebody says something or somebody has an ideal, I at least try to understand it in some capacity. But one thing that I really struggle understanding is when somebody has the mindset that they can be a Christian, that they can be saved, and they cannot go to church, that church is not required, that it's not necessary. Or they can watch online. And that's been a big one since COVID, right? Now, let me be clear. I think it's amazing that we can broadcast what we do online. I think it's, it's spectacular. And if you've ever watched our online experience, it looks and sounds really, really amazing. And so for somebody, you know, if they're sick and in the hospital or if it was a really powerful service and they want to go back and rewatch it, or even if there's somebody new in town and they want to check our church out, I think the online platform is amazing. But let me be clear, it is not a replacement for church. But yet so many people think that it is. This generation coming up thinks that it is. They watch church online, they watch a sermon online, and they think that they've gotten their fix for the week. And in reality, they haven't. We live in a day and age where there's so much information at our fingertips, more than ever before. We're drowning in information, and yet we're starving for the truth. I could go on YouTube right now and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon and not get any closer to the Lord not get any breakthrough, not get any further away from an addiction. Because watching online, although it's an incredible tool, that's all it is. It's a tool. And so what we have to get good at, and I'm talking to you tonight, not just as 
disciples, but as disciple makers, right? So this is where the teaching and the training comes in because I believe every single person in this room, you are a disciple maker. So what's going to happen is somebody's going to come into our church and they're going to get radically saved and they're going to completely turn their lives over to Christ. And maybe you'll have a relationship with them and you'll sit down with them and you'll meet with them. And there's people in this room that have done that. Alan, you come to mind. I know you do that. And, and others. And especially this upcoming generation, Gen Z, it's going to be important that you help them to understand why church is important. Because many of them think that that one experience that they had with Jesus was enough. And yet, there's so much more that they can experience. A life of freedom, a life of victory. And it's not just a one-time thing. So, let me ask you this question. And, and you can talk out loud. Why is church important to you? Support? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's good. I, I had that written down. We need a Christian community that can only be found in the church. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Family. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fellowship. Uh-huh. Encouragement. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things you can't get in your prayer closet in your in your alone time. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And these are these are some things that I just wrote down, and all of those are true. And then I'm just going to add to it. Uh, God says in His Word that we should attend church regularly. That uh, worshiping Jesus, as was already said, at church together is powerful. That we need a Christian community found at the church. And we grow more spiritually when we are together at the church than we can by ourselves. Now again, I believe that those of you that are here tonight, those of you that are listening later, that you understand that church is important. But I believe that we're coming to a day and an age where we need to get really good at explaining why it's important. Because we're going to come across people that genuinely don't understand. And I believe... We believe as a church that we're going to experience revival very soon, and it's going to be incredible, and it's going to be amazing. So we need to be good at explaining why the church is vital, where these people that are coming in, where they fit in in the church, why they should go to church, and what biblical fellowship looks like. Amen? And so that's the bulk of what I want to talk about tonight. And again, I, I would love for this to be a discussion. I, I think there's a lot we could learn from each other. But if you have your handout, uh, that's what this is titled. What does biblical fellowship look like? And this might seem basic and this might seem elementary, uh, elementary but there's people that don't know and don't understand this. If, just to share a little bit of my testimony, I was an atheist until the age of 17. I'd never stepped foot in a church. And so I remember the first time I came to church at the age of 17, Everything was so foreign and weird to me, and I had to have the most basic things explained. You know, Jonah and the whale. 
most kids grow up hearing that story. I'd never heard it, you know. And so I remember the pastor would go up and say, well, we all know the story of Jonah and the whale. And I'm thinking, I don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think so often we just assume that people know things. And so as this revival happens, as we get people that come into our church and get saved, and as you disciple these people, right, me and Pastor Bill, we can't disciple everybody. You know, we're going to need you guys uh, to, to help disciple these people that come in. We need to get really good at uh, explaining these things and not just assuming that they know. So what does biblical fellowship look like? When somebody comes into our church, what is their place in the church? What are, what are some things that they need to be doing at the church? So number one is praying and worshiping corporately. Praying and worship, worshiping corporately. You know, the best, most important thing that any of us can do all week is come to church. Is to, is to be at church. And we have people that have really good, really high-paying jobs where they're in leadership and they're probably, you know, have people under them and they're bossing people around and they're super important. Yet despite all of that, the most important thing that they're doing all week is coming to church and attending church and being a part of church. Any thoughts on that? Number two, what does biblical fellowship look like it's putting the goals and the interests of others above our own so philippians 2 3 says this do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves each of you should look not only at your own interest but to the interests of others i wrote down here prefer one another, serve one another. And so what does biblical fellowship look like? What does church look like? It's, it's us serving one another. I think so often we look at church like, okay, well, we have the, the senior pastor, and then we have the pastors on staff, and then we have the elders and the deacons, and, and, and really that's not how church should be structured. It's not how our church is structured. But really our, our senior pastor is probably the biggest servant of them all. And, and, and he's serving everybody else. And, um, and I think if we develop a culture where we're serving one another, where we're putting other people's needs ahead of ours, what's well, like the church in Acts. Nobody had a need that wasn't taken care of. It's important to, to have a culture where we prefer one another. Number three, what does biblical fellowship look like? It's living an honest and open life before others. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. That's something you can't get online. That's something that you can't get staying at your house. That's something that you can't get just being in your living room with a Bible. Biblical fellowship looks like living with somebody and doing life with somebody. And how many of you know that that can get messy? It can be hard to be vulnerable with somebody. It can be hard to be honest with somebody. Uh, I wrote down small groups, I think, are a really good example of living an honest and open life before others. And in our church, small groups, small groups has become something that's been a very big part of our culture. And we actually encourage every single person in our church to be a part of our 
to be a part of a small group, and I think we have probably some of the best small groups in town. Um, but small groups are great because, you know, on a Sunday service, we can't experience everything. Not everybody can prophesy. Not, not everybody can, can pr- uh, pray for everybody, right? Like there's, there's only so much that you can do. And a lot of times on a Sunday service, we're really thinking about people that are lost, people that are unsaved. That's really kind of what our focus is. And so not everybody gets to use their spiritual gifts. Not everybody gets to sing on the stage and on the platform. Certainly not everybody gets to preach, right? It'd be a very chaotic church if everybody was using their gifts at the same time. But yet you have a church full of people with different giftings and different talents. And so I think small groups are a really amazing way for you to be able to use your giftings and use your talents that you can't necessarily always use every single Sunday, but in a small group setting, you can. Any thoughts on that? Amen. Yeah. Sarcastic remarks, comments, concerns. Um, we need to we need to have a culture where we can be open with one another. And, and I think really in discipleship, when you have somebody that you're mentoring, when you have somebody that you're meeting with, you want them to feel like they can be open and that they can be honest with you. And again. You, you have to have a corporate body to experience that. Number four, I, this one uh, I was excited to talk about. Give, giving and receiving encouragement. That should be something that, that we do in church. Giving and receiving encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So church looks like encouraging people. Biblical fellowship looks like us lifting one another up. You know, I think about how many people come in. And again, we talked about how Sunday morning is probably the most important day that somebody has, the most meaningful thing that somebody does is on Sunday morning, and you have people that we don't know what all they've been through. We don't know the battles that they've been fighting, and and some people are more open than others, but most people aren't very open about those things. You know, we've had people come through our church that are battling cancer, and we don't even know about it. You know, you you have people that that are beaten and worn down, and, and they come to church, and that might be the only encouragement that they get is when they come to church on Sunday. It's not something you can get online. It's not something you can get reading your Bible at home. I, and, and again, online church is a fantastic thing. Reading your Bible at home is a fantastic thing. But giving and receiving encouragement is something that can really only happen in the church. So I, w- I would encourage us and also the people that we're mentoring and discipling to look for opportunities to give encouragement at church, to, to give compliments. You know, something as simple as, hey, you look good today. That could mean the world to somebody. Maybe there's a, there's a mom, a young mom, that's on, on Sunday morning walking through a church. And, and just tell her, you know, you're doing a good job. You're such a good mom. That could absolutely turn her week around because maybe she thinks she's failing. Maybe she thinks she's a, she's a terrible mother and she's doing an awful job. And, and just that, just a two-second comment, you're doing a great job, could absolutely mean the world. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because, yeah, to Marsha's point, we can't necessarily encourage everybody on an individual level. We can on a corporate level, um, but that's another point to small groups is, is we can encourage people and we can, and we can be specific. Um, I don't know if, if you guys are a part of our texting group, but th- there was a person that died by suicide recently. And I was just, that was just weighing on me. I, I was thinking about that. And, and I wonder how many people walk in through our church that are on the line of that happening. And that one word of encouragement could change that for them, you, you know? And, and, and the reality is, is we don't know that. Something as simple as, hey, it is so good to see you. I am so glad that you are here. Somebody could change their mind to not end their life just because of hearing that. And I know that's, that sounds heavy, but it's, but it's so true. Church looks like encouraging each other, giving it, receiving it, it should be a part of our culture. And so I think as, as we're discipling, as we're mentoring others, uh, we need to communicate to them, hey, encouragement is a part of church. Encouragement is something that, that we do. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, I could be really critical. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, but I, I, I can be, if, if I'm not careful, I can be really critical. I can, I can look at the negatives. It's a gift. It's a gift, yeah. Pastor Bill says it's a gift. And I remember like, this was a few years ago, and I said, you know, I don't like how critical I am. You know, I always felt like I was pointing out the negative in people. And I just, you know how God is just so loving in his correction? And it was just one of those things where, where God said, you know, that person knows <laughs> their faults. <laughs> you know, this is, I, I, I had a specific problem with a specific person. And God said, they know what their, their problem is. You don't need to tell them. <laughs> you need to encourage them, and you need to love them. And I thought, okay, because, because people hear enough negativity. People get enough discouragement. I, again, back to this being the most important day of the week, there, there are people at work that are getting beat down every single day, and this might be the one day of week where they hear something positive and they hear something encouraging. And so, so can I just say, as, you know, and they say Christians are some of the meanest people, you know, and I think it's true sometimes. How about we be some of the most encouraging people on the planet? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so that was Erica, and, and she had told a story where uh, the Walmart choir had went out, and they were just loving and encouraging people, and somebody had said, hey, I was going to kill myself, and I'm not going to, and, and how our, our encouragement uh, can be life or death for somebody. You, you know, uh, and, and I'll just, this was a few years ago, we, we had an intern that uh, here that we were just having some troubles with, and, and I remember I had this whole meeting planned with this intern where I was going to tell him all the negative things and all the things that they needed to work on. And I had everything written down and organized, because I'm, I'm that kind of person. I, I like lists. I like writing things down. And uh, it got to be about 10 minutes before that meeting, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you're not going to say anything. In any of those things that you've written down, you're not going to say. You're going to encourage that person. And so what I did was I wrote a new list of things that I liked about that person and good qualities. 
And the most amazing thing was, is after that meeting, you know, I spent 10 minutes just saying, you know what, I love you. I love this about you. I love when you do that. You know, you're so good at this. Those negative things and those things I had an issue with went away because I called out the good, because I called out, because I encouraged somebody. You see, we're called to call people up, not pull people down. Um, so let's be a little less discouraging and a little more encouraging. So that's number four is uh, biblical fellowship looks like giving and receiving encouragement. Number five, and pastor's been talking a lot about this on Sundays, participating in the ministry. Church looks like participating in the ministry. And so what we don't want to happen is somebody to come in on a Sunday morning, they get saved, they have this this amazing moment with the Lord, and then they just sit in their chairs and they don't participate and they don't do everything. We need to make sure that we're clear in our communication that they have a calling and they have giftings and that we want them to use that for the Lord. And back to small groups, you know, small groups is one of those places where, where people can use those giftings. Uh, but First Peter 4.10 says, uh, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so what I like about this verse is, it lets us know that we all have gifts. <laughs> you ever feel like you don't have a gift or you're not good at anything? Well, that's not what the Bible says. We all have gifts. We all have talents. We, we all have things that we're good at. And I, and I really believe God places those things on the inside of us, those things that we're just naturally really good at. I believe God places on the inside. And so he gives us the gift, but we need to use that gift to serve the church and to serve others. We're to participate in the ministry. We're not just to attend church. We're not just supposed to just come to church, um, but we're called to be a part of the church and in whatever capacity that that looks like. Um, a, a story that I really like in the Bible that demonstrates this is Acts 2 through 4. And if you're familiar with the story, so the disciples, they, uh, they're basically, they're, they're out every single day and, and they're ministering and they're, and they're preaching the word. And they realize that they don't have anybody to, to wait the tables, to serve the tables. And so there, there was a need within the church that somebody needed to serve the food and to, to pour the drinks and to clean the food up. And, and that was a need. And these ministers, the, the apostles, the preachers, they needed to focus on teaching the word. They didn't really need to be focused on waiting the tables. And so they said, you know, we're going to get some people to wait the tables. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bring some people on. We're going you know, to have a staff meeting, and we're going to bring some people onto our staff that are going to wait the tables. Now, here's what's interesting. If you know the story, there is two requirements for people that could wait the tables. Now, you might be thinking, what requirement? I mean, they're just waiting tables, right? How hard could that be? Like a high school GED? Like, is, is that the requirement? Like, but no. And, 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 I, and I love this because it gives me hope for me. <laughs> the requirement for waiting the tables is that they would be full of the Spirit and that they would be full of wisdom. You'd think that they just bring anybody in, you know, as long as they have two arms, you know, they, they could wait tables. But they didn't want just anybody. They wanted somebody that was full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom because waiting, waiting those tables was an important part of the ministry. Those, those people that were waiting those tables fit into the body of Christ in a, in a very unique way, and their mission was just as important as those that were preaching and teaching the Word of God. It was just as important. And Sandy hates when I talk about her, so I'm going to do it anyway. 
But I, but I remember we went to uh, Virginia. We went to Virginia, and Miss Sandy went with us because we needed help waiting tables. <laughs> we, we needed somebody to help us cook and, and prepare the food and, and, and to serve people. And so she, she comes with us, and if, if you guys, I'm, I know everybody knows, but Sandy's probably the, the best person to have with you when, when it comes to making food. Um, so that's really, that's really what, what she's there for. She's, she's there to help us make the food, right? Well, we get there, and, you know, it might have been the second or the third morning, but we're, we're getting food in, and we're preparing the food for, the, for that lunch, and an older woman comes in, and I believe she had lost her husband maybe a year ago. And, and she begins telling Sandy of, of the story and what happened. And, you know, and I'm there too, <laughs> but I'm just kind of listening and, you know, Sandy's having that conversation. And then finally, towards the end of the conversation, Sandy says, hey, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. I didn't do that. The, the pastor in the room didn't do that. It, it was Miss Sandy. And she grabbed that woman's hand and she prayed one of the most powerful prayers that I've ever heard of just, of just peace and, and hope of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Sandy wasn't just there to wait tables. She was, she was there because she was full of the Holy Spirit, and she was full of wisdom. And, and, and God used her in a miraculous way. And that, and that woman and, and, and might have been the only reason that she was there. It might have been the only reason she was there, but it was a powerful moment of ministry. And so it doesn't matter what we do in the church. You know, I, I think that there's times, well, I'll just tell you, today, you know, I, I normally leave and go home and eat dinner, and then I come back. Well, before I left... I made sure the bathrooms were clean, and I was, you know, pushing the trash down and, you know, making sure there's no trash in there. I would say that that is just as important, if not more important, than what I'm doing right now. And that me being full of the Spirit and full of the wisdom, and, and full of wisdom was important. You see, we need to participate in the ministry, but there are no insignificant parts in the body of Christ. There are no insignificant jobs. When we have somebody uh, running the soundboard, they need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. When we have somebody taking out the trash, they need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. When we have somebody preaching the Word, they need to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Amen? Because every part of ministry is vital and it's important, and we want people that are strong in the Lord, and, and, and we have that. And so as we're mentoring and guiding others. I, I, it's so important that they understand, the people that we're mentoring, the people that we're discipling, it's so important that they understand that they have a gifting, that they have a talent, and they have a place in the church. And no matter what it looks like, it is important, you know? Think of Adam, you know, you're on, that ch- you're on the child check-in every single Sunday. You're not doing that check-in because you know how to work a tablet. You're on that check-in because you're full of wisdom and you're full of the Holy Spirit. And that's, and, and because you fulfill those requirements, you, you are powerful when you're back there. The, the kids that you encounter, the parents that you're encountering, you're affecting them in ways that you might not even know. You're not, you're not just checking kids in, but you're ministering the gospel, right? We're not just clicking slides for a Sunday morning, but we're, we're, we're ministering the gospel. We're not just, you know, uh, I, I think about our Valentine's banquet coming up on Saturday, and, and we're going to be serving food. We're not just serving food, guys. We're not just serving food to people, but we're ministering the gospel of hope as we serve that food. It's important, and it's valuable. And so the next time you're cleaning a bathroom <laughs> or you're doing something that does not feel significant, I, just, I hope you're encouraged that you are participating in the ministry and that it's valuable, that it's important. I think about my wife who oftentimes when, when I'm at the church, she's at home with the kids, but it's important, and it's powerful, and it's preaching the gospel. Amen?
So that's number five, participating in the ministry. Any thoughts? Amen. Number six, (laughs) this is something I'm actually very passionate about. Supporting the work financially. So 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Supporting the work financially. When when we're discipling somebody, when we've sat, and again, typically what's going to happen is this person will already be saved. They'll already come into a relationship with Jesus. Now it's up to us to teach them what church is and, and what it looks like. And tithing can be a really tough one. How many of you know people get really uncomfortable when you talk about money? But it's important as disciple makers that this is a topic that people need to understand. They need to understand that tithing and offering is important. Uh, I know for me, um, and and back to my testimony that that I shared with you, you know, I didn't have a culture and an upbringing of church. and, And I was taught that pastors were just after your money. That, that churches just wanted to take your money for you, and, and, and that's, that's why church existed. And so it took me years to shift away from that mindset. And I remember even, I mean, I'm on fire for Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. I'm 19, 20 years old. But yet, any time we talked about finances, I got very, very uncomfortable because that mindset was really hard to get rid of. And I, and I remember... I remember uh, my mindset and my thought process was, well, the church just doesn't need to talk about money. Like, I understand tithes and offerings need to happen, but they just shouldn't talk about it. And it's so funny because I feel 100% differently about it. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, there was, there was one church I went to, and, you know, the guy comes up, and they get, he's like, hey, we're going to receive tithes and offerings. And he says, you know, when you give, you know, it helps, keep, it helps uh, to keep the lights on, is what he said. And that stuck with me. And I was thinking about that recently. And I, and I was thinking, I was like, you know, when you give to Word of Life Church, you're not helping to keep the lights on. I, I just hope you know that. Because God keeps the lights on. God's providing for us. You know, we don't take up our tithes and offerings. We don't talk about it every week because we want the money or we even need the money because God will provide every single need that this church has. The reason we talk about tithes and offerings is because, one, all the money in the world belongs to God. It's his anyway, and so we need to give back. It's, we're commanded to tithe. That's number one. And number two, we want to give you an opportunity to be blessed. And when you tithe, when you give of your money, you, you, God will bless you. God will bless you. And so it's important that we're able to communicate that to those that we're discipling, that tithing is important. And they might have a, a culture or a mindset like I had that, oh, well, Let's just not talk about money or, or money makes me uncomfortable, but they need to understand the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus and that really if they're not tithing, they're missing out on a huge blessing that God has for them and that tithing is worship, that tithing is honoring to the Lord and it's such an amazing opportunity that we have. Again, I'm saying all of this as a guy who used to, I hated talking about money. I hated talking about tithing. But God has 180 because I had people in my life that were willing to sit down with me and that were willing to correct me and say, Tim, I love you, but you're wrong. <laughs> that's dis- How many you know that's discipling? That's discipling. Hey, hey, I, lo- I love you so much. You are, you are an amazing man and, or woman of God. 
but you were wrong about this, and let me tell you why. When one thing that you can do in terms of tithing and, and offering, and when, just talking about finances in the church, is you can tell them a personal testimony of what God has done in your life by you tithing. And so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you one quick testimony of mine, and uh, and you you let me know if you're encouraged. And I'll take up an offering after this, Pastor Bill. Don't worry. <laughs> but I remember this was back when Kelsey and I were in the process of adopting the twins. So we might have had them for about two years. And it's a very, very long process. And one of the things that we had to do, uh, it was called a, what was it called, hon? A, a home inspection. They, where basically the, the person comes in and they inspect your home and they make sure psychologically you're able to take care of kids. Well, anyway, long story short, not only was this a, like a six-hour ordeal, but it was also an $800 <laughs> uh, ordeal. And, uh, and I just remember thinking, you know, that's a lot of money. But obviously, you know, we're going to pay it. And we, we, we paid the money. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, uh, things are going to be tight for a little bit. But, you know, that'll be okay. And I remember that next Monday, I come into the office. And there's a check in my mailbox. And I'm, that's weird, I, you know. I open the check. And to this day, I still don't know who wrote that check. It was blank. It didn't have any name. And it was $800. It was the exact amount that that home inspection was. And somebody just wanted to to bless us, and, and they, they, they heard from the Lord. Um, and I truly believe, because things, things got tight when we first adopted the twins. You know, we, we had to buy diapers, we had to buy clothes, we had to buy toys, you know, all these things. Um, and I remember Kelsey and I had a conversation, and we said, you know, no matter how tight money gets, we will tithe. And not only will we tithe, but we will be generous with our finances. That if we hear the Lord say give, we will, we will give. Um, we will honor the Lord with our finances. That's a conversation that we had. I don't care how tight money gets. I don't care how tight our budget gets. That tithe does come first. And I truly believe that because we were so adamant about tithing and, and giving the Lord what was his, that we were taken care of every step of the way. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So a story like that, which is a true story, will encourage the person that you're mentoring and you're discipling, and they'll say, wow, that's a personal story that God did for you um, and so I would encourage you in talking about tithing and offering, absolutely pull out the scriptures, absolutely talk about what the Bible says, but also talk about how God has blessed you and what he's done in your life. And also, if you feel led to put a $800 check in my mailbox, feel free. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um <laughs> But we, yeah, but we, we are called to support the work financially. We're called to, to not only give our tithe, which is, which is the 10%, but we're also called to give above that and to hear the Lord. Um, you know, I, I know for us, um, Kelsey and I have a really good friend. She's in, actually, she, she was here at the church, uh, Rachel in Turkey. And uh, this was when she was, had first decided to become a missionary. I think she's, how many years has she been a missionary? Five? Yes, it's been five years. But before she became a missionary, she called us and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And we said, we're going to give to you. Um, and we have ever since, you know, and it's, uh, and it's just it's such an amazing thing because we've seen what God has done in her life and how God has blessed her. And, and we get to be a part of that mission, right? Um, but also we've seen how God has blessed us financially. It, it really, tithing really works. <laughs> and, uh, and so... One of the reasons I'm so passionate about talking about tithing is because I was probably the biggest anti-tither in the, uh, in the planet, even as a Christian. Um, but 
somebody sat me down and was willing to speak the truth to me. And I really think that in, in terms of discipleship, we need to be willing to sit people down and speak the truth to them. Um, because we can't assume that, that people understand the things that we do and, and why we do them. And, and, you know, we do it in love. <laughs> we do it with patience. They might not get it. it. I think it took me three or four years before I finally started tithing. And then, and then I thought, well, I should have started this sooner. <laughs> I would have been blessed a long time ago. Um, but we're called to support the work financially. And number seven, and again, we're talking about what church looks like, what biblical fellowship looks like. We're called to follow our spiritual leadership within spiritual limits. Hebrews 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that there would be of no, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we're called to submit, and I think in in a lot of ways, the person that we're discipling, really they submit to us in a way, right? They they submit to hearing from us and uh, being corrected by us. I I, I know uh, just with me and Pastor Bill, I had a conversation with him six years ago, and I said, hey, I want you to correct me. I want you to speak into me. I want you to tell me if I'm going the wrong way. The cool thing about this man, and he's not going to mind me saying, is he said the same thing to me. He said the exact same thing to me. I want, I want you to correct me. I want you to tell me if I'm going the wrong direction. Um, how many of you know it's, it's biblical and it's good to submit to, to one another? Um, and, and it gives you a, a, a spiritual covering, right? Um, I wrote this down. Submitting to leadership is not a fence to keep you in, but it's a guardrail to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a fence to keep you in, but it's a guardrail to keep you safe. And so what happens when you choose to submit to a person, it's not so they can boss you around and tell you what to do, but it's you understand that those people that person that you're submitted under has an insight that you don't have, that has a life experience that you don't have, um, and, and you trust that. And, and, and even if you don't see it, even if you don't 100% agree with it, you have enough trust in that person to say, you know what, even though I don't know that I think this way, I've submitted to you, so I'm going to do that. Now, of course, we said with scriptural limits, right? you've always you've got the one percent of people who abuse that right and 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 unfortunately that's that does happen um but i'll tell you 99 percent of pastors are amazing people um and aren't that way amen um but it's an it's important that that we submit and i and i think the problem with a lot of people is and i don't know if it's a character issue i don't know if it's pride or a humility issue but a lot of people struggle with submission they they struggle with with submission. I can tell you, I have I have two people in my life that that I've uh, personally submitted myself under, where I say, hey, I'm going to listen to your insight and I'm going to hear what you have to say, um, and it's it's helped me grow in amazing ways. And and I think all of us should have one or two people in our lives, people that are mentors, people that guide us. But also, you either already are or are going to be those people for somebody. That there's going to be somebody, you know, I, I think of those that Siloam crew, Miss Twyla, that don't know a 
thing about Jesus that don't know a thing about church, you know, the two fast songs and three slow songs, they don't care about any of that, you know, they just, they just know that they got saved and they love Jesus. That's all they care about, you know. Um, and it's, and it's important that they understand that they need to be submitted and that they need to be spoken over and spoken into and sometimes be told no <laughs> and be okay with that. Um, so sometimes give that word of correction. Yes. Yeah, it's in a lot of ways, when you disciple somebody, you're really pastoring them. And you might not be their pastor, right? You may not necessarily be their spiritual oversight, but you're shepherding them. And it's a big deal. And it's, and it's something that we take very, we don't take that lightly, right? We take that very seriously. And if, and I'll even say this, if, if you have, and hopefully you do, hopefully you have someone in your life that takes the time to, to meet with you and to encourage you and to, and to, <laughs> and to warn you if you're going left when you should be going right. Um, but, but they're shepherding you and they're doing that because they love you and because they're, they, they're, they're genuinely care about who you are and where you're going and, and what you're doing. And, and, it's, and it's such an amazing thing. And it's, and it's really an amazing thing to see somebody walk through those things and to learn and to grow and, and, and then to begin to win. <laughs> you know, because I think ultimately, again, we believe as a church that we're, we're going to experience revival, that we're going to see people that don't know a thing about Jesus. They're going to radically get saved. Um, and they're going to make mistakes, and they're, they're not going to get things right, and, and that's going to be okay. But then what's going to happen is as we meet with them, as we disciple them, because we're all disciple makers, we're going to see them, uh, s- suddenly they're not going to be making those mistakes as much anymore. They might make new mistakes, but they're not going to make the same mistakes. And then we're going to see them, uh, all, all of these things, we're going to see them pray and worship together. We're going to see them putting their, the goals and interests of others before their own. We're going to see them living an honest and open life before others. We're going to see them giving and receiving encouragement. We're going to see them participating in ministry, finding their place. We're going to see them uh, tithing and, and, giving, uh, and, and giving their offering. And then we're going to see them submit and, and really live a life of victory and freedom and, and whatever God has for them. And I don't know that there's a more fulfilling thing, Pastor Bill, than seeing somebody walk in the calling that God has for them. It's, an, it's, 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 it's the best feeling, and especially knowing that, that you got to play a role in that, that, that you got to be the one to encourage. I call myself a cheerleader. You know, we, there, there, we have a, a couple of people that, that I get to meet with, and I get to encourage, and, you know, they bounce things off of me. And I always tell them this. I'm your cheerleader. That, that's, that's who I am. I don't even consider myself your leader. I'm your cheerleader. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to tell you that you're doing an awesome job. Um, and it's, and it's such a rewarding feeling to see them get it and to see them walk in, in boldness and in confidence. And we get to be a part of that. Isn't that so cool? 
Isn't that so amazing? Amen. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I truly believe that this upcoming generation are the furthest away from church than a generation has ever been. And, and, uh, and it's, and it's going to be so important because we want a healthy church. We, and, and, and we need to educate them and tell them what a healthy church looks like and what their place in that church looks like because they're not going to know what that is. They're not going to know what their place is. Um, but I, I truly believe that this upcoming generation, what they lack as far as spirituality goes, man, they, they have passion. And I truly, and I think, and I think pastor, you've seen that this Gen Z has, has a passion for the truth. And so many of them are, are deceived and lost and they'll just stick to whatever truth that they can find or, or whatever feels good. But what we're, what we're seeing is this age group, when they do get a hold of Jesus, when they do surrender their lives, they're the most faithful, committed, passionate people that you will ever, ever meet. They're, they're so, so dedicated. They're just, they're just lost. They're just, there's just a, a blindness that they have over their eyes. Um, no, they're, they're not. This is, this is a generation that, that just, they will take what they want. Now, for the world, that's not a good thing. But can I tell you, for the kingdom of, of heaven, we need a generation to rise up and will take, you know, uh, what's, what's that Bible verse? It, it talks about uh, the, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. You know, it's not talking about, like, punching somebody in the face. It's talking about passion, right? The, the kingdom of heaven needs passionate people to, to go against the, the, the kingdom of darkness and to take back what the enemy's stolen and to be bold and to be fierce. And that's what this generation is. And that's who I believe are the people that we're going to come in contact with. I think we've already come in contact with some of these people, um, but they're not going to know anything, and they're not going to have this understanding, and, and it's going to be so important because the, the pastoral staff here, we can only mentor and disciple so many people, and I truly believe it's going to take the church working together. It's going to take the people in this room, the people listening to this podcast later. It's going to take all of us working together to lead and to guide these people. Um, but I believe we're going we're, we're gonna to see just a, a powerful move of God. And, and when we have a healthy church, that's what changes the cities. That's what changes the nation. That's what's going to change the world is healthy churches, you know. Uh, I, I forget what, what pastor said, but he's like, you know, we, we don't look to government for change. We look to the church, you know. Thank God for the government, right? Uh, but the church is where our hope comes from. 
the church is where change happens. Um, and, and, and it's, we get to be a part of that. Amen? And so I have, how many minutes left do I have? I have, I have eight minutes left, so I'm going to be ending a little bit early. Unless anyone has any other thoughts. Yes. Yes. No, yeah, that's that's super good. Actually, uh, so back when we had our disciple uh, or our um, intern program, you know, we had we had six interns, and a couple of them knew, hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to be a children's pastor or I'm going to be a youth pastor. So, you know, we we did we did stick them there. But we had three. I don't know if you remember this, Pastor Bill. We had three that said, hey, I have no idea what I want to do, and I said, that's what I like to hear. And what we did was we rotated them, and and just like you're talking about, and what we had we had different jobs. And we said, okay, for two weeks, you're going to do this. You're going you're gonna to help out with kids. For two weeks, you're going to run slides. And Miss Sandy's going to show you how to run slides. For two weeks, you're going to... And, uh, and it was so cool because they found out some things that they really enjoyed. And they found out some things that they really didn't enjoy. Uh, and then to Pastor Jim's point, um, so in our new members class, that's actually something that, that we're going to work on moving forward is um, having, getting people plugged in and, and, and figuring out. And because we... We really do. We have so many, uh, and, and back to just being full of, the, full of spirit and full of wisdom, all of these jobs are so vital and so, so important. Um, and, and we don't want people to just think, well, the only thing I can do is preach or sing on the stage, um, where I, I believe that there's, there's serving opportunities that are just as important as preaching and, and, and singing on the stage. Um, we just, we just want them to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. <laughs> Amen. That's a, that's a good thought. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. One of the things I'll encourage you to do when, when you're discipling and when you're meeting with people, 
Um, and whether that's really, and in my opinion, I think the, the best way to disciple somebody is, is for it to be as casual as possible. Um, you know, you don't have to have this big formal meeting and, you know, in, in an office, take someone to coffee and just, and just hang out and spend time. That's really the best way. The, your best discipleship will happen through relationship, right? Um, but, but one of the most important things that you can say to the person that you're discipling is you are important. You are important because, you know, to your point, people want to feel like they're important. They want to feel like they matter, especially when we're talking about this next generation, but really everybody. I, I could tell you I want to feel important. <laughs> I want to feel needed, you know. Um, but we're, really, I think we're, we're all wired that way. And the reason we're wired that way, Pastor Bill, is because we are important. Because God, because we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. Because God created us on purpose for a purpose with a mission and a vision. And he's given us giftings and talents. And we are very, very, very important. So we feel that way because God created us that way. But it's important, back to being encouraging, that we make other people feel that way. Yeah, amen. It's really good. So we are disciple makers, and we are disciples. And I love that all of us have different roles in the church. I'm looking around the room. We all have different things that we do in the church, different giftings, different talents. And yet, despite all the differences that we have, we're all called to be disciples and make disciples. And that's so encouraging, isn't that? Let me, let me just pray for you. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you so much for an opportunity to hear from you. God, we want to make sure that we always glorify you, that we always give you the praise and the glory and the honor. God, we thank you that you have called us to be disciples, to be people that are after your heart. God, I, I thank you that it, it doesn't just stop after salvation. That, that, Lord, that, that you called us to live a life of victory and that, Lord, we spend our entire lives getting to know you and, and, and understanding what victory and freedom and peace looks like. God, I thank you that one day we're going to be in, in heaven and we're going to spend an eternity seeking you. We're going to spend an eternity uh, just finding you and, and being with you, Lord. God, I thank you that you have called every single one of us in this room and, and listening to the, to the podcast later. You have called us to be disciples and to make disciples. So God, I pray that we will be full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. No matter what we do, no matter what it looks like, God, I pray that your anointing would be on us in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.